Well, um, if you do have your Black Church Bibles with you, please do open them uh, to page 1001. Um, That is uh, the letter to the Hebrews, and uh, Rog will be uh, preaching uh, for us tonight uh, from the first um, chapter, and that is what we're going to read. Hebrews 1-1-2-4. Hebrews 1-1 to chapter 2, verse 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways... God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Well, let me add my welcome this afternoon and say it is an absolute privilege to be the person uh, speaking up here as we commission the Redeemer Church plant. It is an exciting moment, a really exciting moment for us as a, as a church family, an exciting moment for the glory of God in this city, an exciting moment for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or it will be, if. If Redeemer sticks with the real gospel. If Chalmers sticks with the real gospel. Then we'll look back on this day as a wonderful, wonderful day from eternity. 
turn, turn back open again to page 1001 in the Church Bibles, um, Hebrews chapter 1. It'll help me a lot if you follow along. And the application of all I'm going to say is there in chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. The application today, it's very simple. Stick with the gospel of Jesus. Don't drift from the words of Jesus. It is a brilliant place to be for a commissioning service. It's brilliant for us who stay. It's brilliant for those who go. Pay much closer attention to what Jesus has already told you. Don't drift from his gospel. Our passage for this Sunday evening actually starts from verse 5. That's where we're focusing from verse 5 onwards. And if you just kind of scan your eyes over verses 5 to 14, you can see what's going on is that Jesus Christ, God's Son, is being compared to angels. That's what's going on. Just look, verse 5. To which of the angels of chapter 1 did God ever say this? Or verse 7. Of the angels, he says, but then verse 8. Of the Son, he says something else. Or verse 13, to which of the angels has he ever said dot, dot, dot? So that's what the passage is all about. I'm going to stick it on the screen for you. And this is a comparison between the Son, that's Jesus, and angels. And there's a whole string of Old Testament references that you can only say of Jesus. You can't say of the angels. All of which means, if you want to zone out, if you just want the kind of point and then you kind of switch off mentally... Uh, if you want the basic message, it's going to come up on the screen. Jesus the Son is way, way, way bigger than angels. That's the basic point tonight. Jesus is way bigger than angels. Now, why do we need to know that when planting a church? Robin said earlier that when, when he and I saw this was the passage that would fall on the commissioning service, we were like, yes, we don't have to swap one in. That would be great. But why is that a great point when you're about to go on a church plant or send off some dearly beloved brothers and sisters? Well, have a look with me at chapter 2, verse 2, to see the significance of angels in this passage. Chapter 2, verse 2, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation, it was declared at first by the Lord, i.e. Jesus, the Son. So here's why angels are coming up. and I'll put it on the screen. Angels speak God's message. God spoke through angels. Remember how Hebrews started 1 verse 1. Uh, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And one of the ways God spoke was through angels, their messengers. But now, verse 2, in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son. That is, God has now spoken climactically in his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, we need to remember, like, angels are big. Angels are mighty messengers. They are serious messengers. We'll be reminded of that, won't we, all the way through Christmas. And do you know what the most common opening words of angels are in the Bible? 
Well, to Mary, do not be afraid. To the shepherds, do not be afraid. We're bringing good news. It was right to take angels seriously. They're they're awe-inspiring, fearsome, supernatural creatures. And chapter 2, verse 2, the message they brought from God, and this is talking about the covenant given to Israel at Sinai. This message, chapter 2, declared, verse 2, declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. You see, if you look at the history of Israel, it was a fact proven historically that wandering away from what God says, God's message delivered through angels, was to the serious peril of his people. Well, to put it another way, I'll put it on the screen, there are serious consequences. But now, verse 3, something even bigger is here. Verse 3, since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord. The point is this, if it was a serious thing, to wander away from the old covenant, the message declared by its angelic delivery. Well, how high are the stakes when it comes to what Jesus has declared in full, the message of salvation that Jesus has brought to this world, the message of Christmas, that he came to save people from their sins, the message we heard this morning. Someone no less than the Son of God has brought that message. And so here's the big application today. Don't drift from the gospel that Jesus the Son declared. If you want to declare, if you want to um, assess the success of a church plant, it's not the numbers, whether numbers of people or numbers of pounds. It's not how nice the building looks, though it does look nice. It's not the community, kind of what the reputation is. Are people keen on this plant or not? It's not how many activities are happening. Fundamentally, it's this question. Are they paying careful attention to God's message in Jesus Christ? Or are they drifting from it? And of course, it's exactly the same for us, the sending church. It is possible, as Robin warned, to kind of pat ourselves a bit on the back today. But if we drift, even if Redeemer stays true, well, actually, net gain, no more churches that are proclaiming Jesus. So for them and for us, we must pay more careful attention to Jesus and his message of salvation. Why should we pay attention to Jesus? Well, the heart of this passage, and the next few minutes together, uh, if you can um, do your best to concentrate despite the background noise. um, I would say I'm sure they're having fun, but I'm pretty sure that one (laughs) is not having fun. Um, The heart of this passage is just showing us how big Jesus is. It's moving, isn't it, to see people up here, um, grown people in tears, because they'll miss this place. But they're going for the name of Jesus. They're taking the name of Jesus somewhere else. And the bigger you realize Jesus is, the more willing we are to give up our freedoms so that people hear of him, and the more strongly we'll grip to him and the message he gave us. If you are someone visiting church today, and well done for getting the right time, that's amazing. But if you are someone visiting church, there's a reason that the whole calendar is built around Jesus. 
There's a reason why Christmas bears his name, however much the kind of town celebrations try and airbrush Jesus out of it. He is incomparably great in human history. He is the greatest authority declaring the greatest news. I heard bits of the manifesto that Boris was delivering earlier. It did sound exciting, but this is the real news, the news you can trust, the news of eternal hope. Remember that picture we had at the start, the point of our passage that Jesus is way, way, way greater than angels. And he is so big, such an amazing messenger, because he is actually the son of God. We started to see this last Sunday night. Jesus is unparalleled. Now, this bit's going to require a bit of concentration. Um, so if any of you younger folk, any um, uh, people still at school, I can't see many. I was going to say, ask your parents to, to check they were following along. Um, but maybe if you're a student, um, phone up your parents afterwards. They'll love to hear from you, and you can explain this to them. Um, Jesus is God the Son, the Son of God, in two senses. They're on the handout, and they'll come up on the screen. In two senses, Jesus is God the Son. Both are amazing. Firstly, Jesus is the divine, eternal Son of God. God the Son, the the second person of the eternal, unchanging, triune God, the Trinity. That is, he shares the same nature as God the Father. He's absolutely fully God. Just look at verse 3 from last week. Verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is the divine son of God, the creator and sustainer of all things, God himself. That's why in verse 6, God can say of the son, let all God's angels worship him. I mentioned when angels meet humans in the Bible, the humans are terrified. Sometimes they're so scared, they, they go flat on their face and start trying to worship the angel. You know what the angels do, whether it's Daniel or Revelation? The angels say, get up. Get up, you can't worship me. I'm just a creature. Whereas when Jesus walks in the room, the angels themselves are flat on their face. As God the Father says, worship my son. He is fully God, God himself. That's the first sense of God the Son. But there's a second sense going on here. Just um, have a look at uh, chapter one, verse two. It talks about the son being appointed the heir of all things. Verse 4 talks about him inheriting a name that's superior to the angels. So he's always been the son of God, but there was a day in history where he got given another title, son of God, in a different sense. He was given a job, the job to be the king on David's throne, the Messiah, this promised king that the Old Testament said would rule the nations. He also was called the Son of God. And that's what verse 5 is on about. To which the angels did God ever say? And then this is a quote from Psalm 2, a psalm about the Messiah King, the Christ, the King on David's throne. You are my Son, today I've begotten you. Or second half of verse 5, from 2 Samuel 7, another promise about this King on David's throne. I will be to him a father, he shall be to me a son. This may feel like a long way from a church plant, but it's really not. Stay with me. And I'm going to put some pictures up to try and explain those two senses, because both of them will keep us sticking with Jesus in the long haul. 
Um, firstly, let's explain um, the same nature thing. Um, that's, that is a picture of a rabbit. It's not very clear. Um, in, 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 um, on, in our summer holiday, we, we found a, a, a rabbit, a baby rabbit um, and rabbit family uh, in a playground, and I took a picture. And, and the reason I've got it up there is the father rabbit and the son rabbit are just, they're rabbits. They share a nature. Does that make sense? They're, they're, they're rabbity. Um, okay, another picture. Bear with me. There is a serious point. Uh, that's a picture of me and Josh. Does that make sense? My son, Josh. Um, uh, Josh may sometimes look like a hamster. He's got those kind of big cheeks. <laughs> but he is a human being. I'm a human being. He's a human being. We share a nature. He's every bit as human as I am, just as the rabbits are every bit as rabbity, uh, the, the, the dad rabbit and the son rabbit. Now, this is the serious point. When the Bible talks about God the Son, or in the creed we say, eternally begotten Son of God, this is what it's getting at, that Jesus is every bit as God as the Father. Humans beget humans, rabbits beget rabbits. The Father has eternally begotten a Son. He's every bit as God as the Father. Now, you might be thinking at that point, hang on, hang on. Surely the eternal son, he, he didn't have a beginning. He wasn't born like Josh, my son, was, or like that rabbit in the playground was. It, surely it doesn't quite work. And that's exactly right. So the amazing thing about God the Son is he never had a beginning. He's always been the Son, just as the Father has always been the Father. That is, the divine son didn't start at some point because only things like rabbits have beginnings, creatures, or things like human beings have beginnings, creatures. But if you share God's nature, if you are fully God, you have no beginning. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you remember those words he said in John? Before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. The son has always been the son alongside the father. So here's a, a diagram. This isn't a picture of the Trinity. It's just a diagram to explain this, this truth about them. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God, but the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father. Now, you might be thinking, it's hard to think of an illustration, it's hard to get my head around this, but that's the point. God is a one-off, a unique singularity, the eternal triune God. There is no one like the great I Am. Eternal, relational, three-in-one, God in three persons. But God gave us this father-son language for a point. When you meet Josh, you meet someone who's every bit as human as I am. When humanity met Jesus walking the earth, we met someone as fully God as God the Father. Might be a reason to take his words seriously, the words that can stop a storm, flatten the sea, the one before whom the angels fall flat in worship. Just look at verse 10. This is 
That's some background. Verse 10 is where you see the point. Here are some words that are spoken now about Jesus. Listen to this, verse 10. It's running on from verse 8. So verse 8, of the Son, he says, and then verse 10, and you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. The heavens are the work of your hands. They'll perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe you'll roll them up. Like a garment, they'll be changed, but you are the same. Your years will have no end. Particular local churches come and go. Particular communities and cities come and go. But Jesus Christ is from everlasting to everlasting. He is the divine son, the eternal divine son. I don't know if Josh does get treated differently around church because I'm his dad. I don't know if he gets more attention, carries more authority. I hope not, because he's a toddler. And I'm just a human being, so just another person. But when God the Son himself turns up with a message from the Father saying, I am the only way to be saved, you need the forgiveness that I offer more than a paralyzed man needs his legs fixed. Well, that's not a message to take lightly. It's not a message to drift from. It's actually true that every single person that the team meet in Collington was made by Jesus. Everyone in Edinburgh, everyone on the planet. Okay, that's the hardest bit of thinking done. Okay, that's the first sense of the eternal of the Son, the eternal Son. Let's go back to the second sense, the other kind. Um, this uh, is a picture of a business. I only came across this business this week. Uh, Day and Sons, who apparently um, they work in crew and they specialise in selling universal medicine for disorders of horses, sheep, and cattle. Which I'm quite excited about. Um, uh, I think they're still going. Um, Unfortunately, as far as I'm aware, I have no links to them. I, I haven't got, heard about it in the family tree at all, which means I have no authority to appoint the kind of next CEO or the next heir of the family business. But that kind of idea is getting at the second sense of son of God here. See, God promised again and again that a human king would sit on David's throne and be treated like God's son, be a son of God which is he'd share the family business. He'd be a king of the world. He'd rule all the nations. In fact, he'd be appointed as the judge of all the nations, the one to whom everyone would be accountable. That's what verses 8 and 9 are about. That's from a love song about this amazing king. Um, And it's what um, verse uh, 13 is about. That's from Psalm 110, Uh, this promise that, that, um, that... The king on David's throne will judge all the nations. And the thing about God's family business is far more significant than than kind of disorders of, of sheep and cattle. The Davidic throne in the Bible is the solution to the chaos of this world. This world is in disorder. Doesn't take much to prove that, does it? There's a lot of darkness in this city, in this world. And throughout the Bible, this one throne is the place of hope, the place where a saviour will come, a proper leader, the leader we long for, will come on this throne. 
That's why we'll hear at Christmas, for to us a child is born, of the increase of his government and of peace, there'll be no end on the throne of David and his kingdom. And Jesus is the appointed son on that throne. He shares the family business. To put it down on ground level, Jesus is the one in whose eternal destiny uh, is in his hands, in whose hands is our eternal destiny. As Psalm 110 puts it, his enemies will be a footstool under his feet. He'll shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He'll execute judgment among the nations. So let's go back to every person in Collington. Not just made by Jesus, but going to meet him. And it's the same round Morningside or round our networks across Edinburgh. Let me put it another way. Two years into Redeemer's history, or five years, or God willing, two decades, there's something that won't have changed. Jesus Christ, the eternal son, because he's the same yesterday, today, forever. There's one thing that will have changed will be two years or five years or two decades closer to his return as the king to judge the world. It may already have happened by then. And so, with all that background, knowing who Jesus actually is, how big Jesus actually is, the author to the Hebrews, to this church he cares about, and me, to these two churches I deeply care about, Say with all our heart and soul and breath, stick with Jesus Christ. Listen to the Son. Don't drift from the gospel he declared. I realize on a day like this, that sounds like, well, how would that ever happen? Surely we're setting off in the right direction. But there are always so many pressures. Pressures from within and pressures from without to tweak the message, make it more palatable, less challenging, less exclusive say that Jesus isn't strictly the only way, to say that Jesus doesn't actually call us sinners who need forgiveness, to say that Jesus doesn't command everyone everywhere to turn around and believe in him, to say that Jesus isn't really coming to judge the world. But Jesus Christ said all of those things. And so the simple command is stick with him. One of the interesting questions as I draw to a close, one of the interesting questions is, um, who's going to turn up at Redeemer? Like, who's going to actually, once it kind of gets going publicly uh, in the village, who's going to actually come? I mean, there's all sorts of possibilities, aren't there? Will there be kind of local dignitaries? Will councillors or government officials get wind of it and kind of come and cut the, cut the um, tape? Uh, will there be lots of different Christians from all sorts of different backgrounds and viewpoints who turn up, maybe who have different views about what church should be doing or what the gospel is? Will there be lots of visitors, hopefully, Folks, uh, friends and, and contacts and people just curious. People attracted by the warmth of what's going on. Some of those people will be offended by what Jesus actually says. They just will. And when you're small and it's early days, there can be an immense pressure to drift from Jesus' words. But actually, when you're established and a bit bigger... There can be immense pressure to drift from Jesus' words. This church 
that the Hebrews was beginning to get weary of it. They just wanted to keep their heads below the parapet for a while. They wanted to drift into a more comfortable and acceptable form of religion, one that removed the sharp edges of what Jesus actually says. But here's the thing. Even if the archangel Gabriel came to the first public meeting of Redeemer and suggested a different message, the New Testament would say loud and clear, he doesn't have the authority. No one does. Even if in time freedom of speech is compromised, no one has the authority to change the message. doesn't matter if you're a leader of a big church or a little church, a new church or an old church, none of us have the authority to change the message because the Son has spoken. Son. The eternal, divine, coming back to judge Son of God. Father, we do pray a simple prayer, but recognizing our deep need for the help of your Spirit to answer it. We pray that you would keep us sticking with your son. And we praise you for him. We praise you that he to whom angels are called to worship, he (coughs) stepped down lower than the angels to go to a cross that we might be forgiven for eternity and safe when we meet him face to face. We praise you for that good news of salvation. And we pray so much every single person in this room who knows you, that we would hold fast to you. And for those who don't, Lord, we pray that you would help them to see your glory in the face of Jesus. For his sake we pray. Amen.